Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into Talking Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody out there. We're excited to be back. Uh, We're going to talk football and basketball today, recap Maryland's bowl win over Auburn in the Music City Bowl, and then as basketball, uh, the basketball team started up uh, fully with conference play, we'll uh, we'll cover some things there as well. We're going to start with football, though. Uh, Bowl wins now in three straight seasons. That's the first time that's ever happened in program history. Three straight winning seasons for the first time since 01 to 03, so it's been 20 years, and it's also been 20 years since they had eight or more wins in back-to-back years. So the bowl game, Mike, I, I got forgot to mention, uh, I got Mike Popovic here with me, uh, Pat Donahue couldn't be with us today, but I want to talk about the bowl game first. So 31-13 to over Auburn. Pretty dominant, jumped down to a quick 21-0 lead in the first quarter and really never looked back. So what impressed you the most about that game, especially considering, you know, we thought maybe the team would struggle given all the opt-outs and who they were missing uh, and who Auburn had and kind of how that matchup panned out, but that's not how it panned out. So what impressed you about this game as we head into the spring? Yeah, I mean, a couple of different things. First, uh, without Talia Tungavailoa quarterback, um, I I almost think that that reinvigorated them offensively and maybe for the coaching staff as well because they've had Talia for so long. They know what he can do, but at some point you're going to have to move on, whether it's this game or next season. And this gave them the ability to um, get some new guys out there, coach them up some more, and do some different things potentially. And I I just what impressed me certainly was they came out of the gates with their hair on fire. They came to play – and you never do know with the bowl games how teams are going to to respond. Now, Maryland was never in the mix for uh, a college football playoff in the top four. So it's not as if they went into this game highly disappointed and then decided, hey, we're not going to show up. What do we have to play for? You've got a lot of hungry guys that are going to be back next year that do have a lot to play for. So I think that was that was something that was positive for the coaching staff and the players and that uh, you know, they, they were able to use this as – Um, again, a springboard for next season for a couple of guys wrapping up their careers or um, a payoff for the season that they have with the eight wins. But, you know, coming out of the gate with their hair on fire um, and just playing with the energy uh, and excitement that they did, Zach, I mean, regardless, yeah, that ended up being that they scored a bunch of points and defensively they really held Auburn down. But I just like the way they came prepared and play with high energy. You know, even if they had lost that game, you certainly couldn't have uh, faulted them for effort uh, in which they gave a lot in that one. And it was a a lot of big plays. I mean, Billy Edwards only ended up 6 of 20. You know, it wasn't a great throwing day for him when you take a look at that, but it was a big play game. And uh, also uh, my guy Cam Edge had a few nice passes too. Yeah, I was really impressed. I I do want to talk about the quarterbacks. They used two as expected. Billy Edwards got the majority of the snaps, but Cameron Edge did see a few snaps. The guy out of Smyrna, Delaware. Um, Edwards, like you mentioned, he got off to a hot start, especially running the ball, um, but completed some nice passes those first few drives. But yeah, really cooled off towards the end. I think 
for him, the biggest thing looking towards next season, if he can improve the arm strength a little bit and just get stronger in that regard, because the the arm sideline to sideline throws, he just doesn't have it. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. And then the deep throws as well um, seem like consistently underthrown on a lot of those balls. But Cameron Edge, on the other hand, really big arm. Uh, and I think that's what you look at with him, where he's sim- more similar to Talia in that he's a capable runner if he needs to. He, it's not that's not really his thing. Uh, he might even have a stronger arm than Talia, um, and for him, it's just improving and fine tuning that accuracy, which will come with with age. But speaking of the quarterbacks, I mean, did this game tell you anything that you didn't know about either of these guys? Obviously, you'll ha- you'll add MJ Morris, the NC State transfer, to the competition in the off season. But what did you see from both Edwards and Edge? No, I, I, Zach, I think this game um, backed up what we thought about these guys or what I thought about these guys. I think you, um, you know, astutely put it in terms of um, Edge is a pocket passer, but he's got the ability to extend plays with his legs. Uh, he can run if need be, but that's not what his strength is. Um, he's a, a shotgun spread uh, guy that can deliver the football and go deep, and he's got good arm strength and I do think he's got a better arm than Talia, certainly as much, but I think he does have a stronger arm. Um, with Edwards, uh, again, more of a runner than passer, but I, I think Edwards can be a pretty solid passer. I do, and I don't disagree in terms of the arm strength. I think he's got um, – I still think he's got above-average arm strength, but it's not where Cam Edge is, and certainly that aspect of his game just needs to get better. Uh, but, no, I, I think uh, the what I saw on Edge only threw three passes, to be fair. So, you know, you know but he he made the most of it and was efficient um, where Edwards got 20 passes in there. But, no, nothing uh, nothing changed from what I thought about those guys. It just uh, reaffirmed uh, what we thought. And um, I'll just say this. I, I haven't actually seen any video on Morris, uh, but I've read a lot about him, and I was very impressed with what he had to say uh, about his uh, reasons for – um, leaving NC State, coming to Maryland, just in general, seems like a young man with a with a good head on his shoulders, and uh, he understands he's going to have to fight for the job, and uh, that's a, that's a good thing. You know, you you don't want to come in making any assumptions. You want to have to earn it on merit, and he seems more than ready to do that. And it'll be exciting to see what Morris brings to the Knicks. Um, yeah, I'm a little biased. I saw Edge in person a few times. I like the young man. He went to Smyrna, then DeMatha back to Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna, for those that don't know, though, while it, it is a public school program, it's a, a very highly touted public school program in northern Delaware. Uh, so while it's not DeMatha, it, it is a little bit of a drop-off there. It's still a, a very, very good program, so don't uh, don't get fooled by that. Yeah, I was excited when they landed him. It went a little under the radar because he enrolled early. He reclassified. Uh, he early. reclassified, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he came in a year early. Uh, very which, young. Which tells me something. Yeah, absolutely. But I think what it did was it, it knocked a lot of his recruiting. He went from a four-star to a three-star because he reclassified. So then, you know, the the national attention and maybe a lot of the, the casual attention was not on him. But I've always liked him as a, as a prospect. So good to see him in this game have some success, um, get the most collegiate action that he's had under his belt um, going into the spring. I think that was good to see both of these guys in a meaningful game. We've seen Edwards, when Talia went down last year, got a couple of games, that game against Indiana, it was hurt, uh, and then uh, started that Northwestern game 
last season, which they which they ended up winning. But for the most part, they haven't had a ton of snaps. Morris comes in as the most experienced option. And from what I've seen of him, he's sort of a mix of both of these guys. Uh, he's a better runner than, uh, than Edge is. Um, he's got some quickness to him, but he's also got a big arm. So it's going to be about figuring that out uh, during the spring in this competition. It's the first time we've had a legitimate quarterback competition at Maryland since Loxley took the job. So this is going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, the stability that Talia brought was very, uh, very nice for Maryland fans after all of those years of seemed like injuries every year and there was competitions every year. But We'll see. We'll see what happens there. I think one other thing for me that stood out, Dylan Wade caught a couple passes, including a touchdown. When you lose Corey Deitches and Rico Walker at the tight end position, you got to backfill that somehow. So hopefully Wade can step up along with Preston Howard and there's not too big of a drop off uh, between Deitches and Walker leaving. And I have to think Deitches is simply NIL, right? Because he was the yeah. second leading receiver on the team, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Rico Walker, I don't get that. I don't know why he didn't think he couldn't get um, you know more time over Howard. I don't think Walker's established him enough to make major NIL money yet. I could see where if he came back next year and had a big year, then maybe he moves on. Uh, but uh, that that I don't get. Maybe there's more to it. Um, but you know, offenses today with tight ends, as you know, a lot of those guys are flex guys, so they're really glorified wide receivers. Now there may be some amount of blocking they have to do, uh, but if you're a really good receiver you're not going to be asked to do that too much. Yeah, so defensively, um, I think that's where maybe they were even more impressive than offensively you're, for Maryland. Right, agreed. And actually, the score that Auburn did get, what, in the second quarter, um, and yeah. not to take away from Maryland's effort, that should never have been given up. Maryland should stop them. They had a couple opportunities with some missed tackles, and, and, yeah. and, and I think they were a, a tick away from being able to bat a ball down maybe on a third down completion. They shouldn't even have gotten that score in the first half, Auburn, that is. And Auburn's whole thing was their running game. And 76 rushing yards was all that Maryland allowed, 2.2 per carry. Didn't allow anything from either their running back or the quarterback who wanted to run. Consistently, what stood out to me, getting them behind the chains. And once they got them behind the chains, they were just unable to do anything throwing the ball. The numbers reflect the kind of garbage time passing stats that they put up. But for the most part, it was just a smothering defensive effort. And that's what allowed them to get it out to that 21 nothing lead in the first quarter. Because I don't know that Auburn got a single first down in the first quarter. And if they did, it was right at the end. So that 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 was really impressive to me. Caleb Wheatland, I think, stood out at the linebacker position, five tackles and a sack. You were kind of watching that inside linebacker position, who was going to step up to replace Barham. Uh, and Wheatland's certainly a guy that has the ability to do that. And then, of course, we did hear uh, in the last week or so that Ruben Hippolyte uh, is going to come back for his yeah. final season, which is big after you lost Barham. Yeah, no, I uh, certainly agreed. Yeah, uh, Jarquez uh, or, or Jarquez Hunter is the running back for Auburn that they held down in that one. Peyton Thorne was uh, Auburn's starting quarterback, although they ended up playing three in that one. Uh, Thorne, a uh, player that Maryland had uh, played against twice previously when he was with Michigan State. Maryland was one of one against them uh, in that game. But uh, you're right. I know we talk about the offense a lot, but you're right. The defense uh, deserves uh, maybe even more of the accolades uh, in this one, yeah, Wheatland had a game. Also, Fanage Gote led the way with all tackles. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, the Terps did a really good job. And, you know, fortunately, even though they had a couple of guys in their secondary um, that were not there, they lost some depth there for sure. 
uh, with uh, the portal and and with those uh, concentrating on the NFL draft. Um, they held up really well. Now, I will say Auburn, as you know, had three guys that also uh, did not play in that game because they're going to the NFL. They had a very, Auburn had a very young secondary, but again, Billy Edwards hasn't played much in terms of throwing the football at his time at Maryland and Edge, the same thing. So, yes, they were going against mostly a freshman secondary, but you also had two quarterbacks uh, that were still pretty wet behind the ears as well. And Maryland's secondary was young, too, especially at the cornerback position. You mentioned Tarheeb Still was out. Also, Corey Coley, Gavin Gibson. Jaquan right. Shepard was really the only experienced guy at the corner position. Yeah. But Levain Scruggs stepped up, got himself a pick. Glendon Miller also, the third, kind of the third option as a safety, who played, I think, a lot of nickel in this game. Those are two guys who could play big roles next season because you do have a lot of holes on in that secondary for next year. Yeah. I'll just say this. It was a pleasant surprise to see Maryland come out of the gates the way that they did and just continue. And yes, Auburn was six and six, but that's still an SEC team. A lot of respect for Hugh Freeze and the job that um, he's done in the past in the SEC at Ole Miss, what he did at Liberty. So I, I look at that and I, I don't discount any of that at all. Um, seeing, by the way, Freeze is going to take over the uh, play calling duties for the offense next season. Uh, but anyway, I was just it was it was really a pleasant surprise uh, to see uh, the football team do what they did. And, and, and clearly Loxley has something going there in terms of uh, getting his teams ready for bowl games. And uh, while he uses that as uh, the start to the 24 season, there's still an aspect of the guys that were there earned uh, that extra game. Uh, after getting eight wins. And, Zach, uh, f- I mean, final note for me on the season, we've, we've talked at, at, at nauseum about that it probably should have been a 10-win season with wins over Illinois and Northwestern, although the Northwestern loss doesn't look nearly as bad, um, you know, given the season they ended up having and a, a winning bowl game uh, for them as well. But I'll just end with this, is that when we're complaining about Maryland football not winning nine or ten games in a season – then you know yeah. that the bar has been raised by Mike Loxley. I just I think people forget that perspective sometimes about where the program was just a few years ago and where it is. Again, I I, I understand there was missed opportunity there, but I, I, on the other end, glass half full. Hey, we're talking about Maryland. Um, should have had ten wins. They had eight. Hey, that that's progress. Yeah, and the fact that we have to go back 20 years to find the last time that the program was this stable, stably good, uh, is saying something. And like you said, I think we do take for granted what Loxley has done. Look at the situation that he he inherited before the 2019 season. I mean, less than a year after Jordan McNair's death, you've got, they interviewed, what, three people for this job? And it was, this wasn't a job that, a whole lot of people actually wanted. Loxley was one of the few people who legitimately wanted this job. And not only has he taken it and stuck with it, but he's really turned the program around from where it was in after 20 in 2018 to what it is now, which is a consistent winning football program. And now you there are definitely steps you have to take now, but you're in a much better position to make those steps now with three straight winning seasons, two straight eight-win seasons. Well, I I think given the fact that the Big Ten landscape, though, has changed, I think that, again, realistic expectations and what this program can do, um, how far they can go, I think we have to keep that in mind with four teams from the Pac-12 coming in, in Oregon and Washington, who just played the national championship game against Michigan. 
um, and USC uh, and UCLA. And, and, and right now the UCLA program is actually uh, in better shape, it seems, than USC. So we have to keep all that in mind. Now, that will also be tougher on other teams as well, but I think we do have to keep that in mind. But stability um, is something that you talked about. And uh, the, the transfer portal, unfortunately, doesn't bring a lot of stability. But Maryland, now that they've won three straight, I think, Zach, they've got a credible resume, and, and so does Mike Loxley. The first year, oh, maybe that's a fluke. The second year, you start to turn some heads a little bit. But people, now that they see three straight years of winning and bowl games and bowl winning, um, that doesn't hurt. NIL still top of the, 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 the list. I get it. But when you start to drill down a little bit with players that are looking beyond that or may not have that initial NIL value, um, Maryland is emerging as a place that, hey, why wouldn't you want to go? Like an MJ Morris, why wouldn't you go want to play for Mike Loxley in a, a quarterback-friendly offense? Um, and, and as I said on, on social media the other day, too, okay, you're playing in the Big Ten which is going to get that much stronger here this coming fall. So you've got that. You're also playing at a conference that I believe still values defense to a large degree. And in some cases, depending on the type of year, you're also playing in some pretty bad weather conditions. So if you're looking to go to the NFL, this conference will get you ready. I, I know the SEC. I get all that. But let's put them aside for a second. There's only so many spots there, okay? The Big Ten is that next super conference, and they have the they have the national champion currently, all right, and, and who beat an SEC team. So you know, with that said, those are the selling points, I think, for a place like Maryland uh, in, in the Big Ten uh, when you're taking, a, a, again, a look at if you're a play, legitimate player that has a shot at the NFL, why why not Maryland? You, you tell me. Those are some, some pretty big, I think, positives um, that the program has to offer and the conference has to offer. Yeah, you talk about N.J. Morris coming from NC State. Certainly the Big Ten's in a better spot than the ACC uh, at this point. I mean, what I mean, are they adding? Florida Stanford State. and yeah. like – and then, yeah, half the teams are trying to leave. Yeah, well, you got Florida State suing. But you're right. A the ACC brought in uh, to play catch-up. They brought in Stanford, Cal, and SMU. Now, SMU's got a decent program, and we, we know their history. They're not, though, what they were in the early 80s, obviously. But Cal and Stanford, those are academic schools. Now, Stanford's got a great athletic program on the whole. Yeah. But in the last decade, their men's basketball, or excuse me, their football in the last, yeah, really pretty much the last five to six years, and their men's basketball is not what it used to be. 15, 20, 25 years ago, Stanford, you know, may, or when since Harbaugh got there, I'll say yep. 15 years ago, um, and then men's basketball – even back in the 90s and early 2000s, mid-2000s, pretty solid program. But that's all changed. So you're bringing in programs that don't bring much to the table from a football perspective at all. And now Florida State's uh, looking to to get out. Um, yeah, ACC's not in a good place. And one final note I do want to make on the football program. We learned a few days ago, I think on Friday, that uh, Azar Abdul-Rahim was going to be joining the staff uh, from Boston College. He obviously was part of DJ Durkin's staff as a defensive backs coach. One of the best DMV recruiters out there. He was the head coach at the Friendship Collegiate Academy for a long time at the high school ranks. Um, so to add a guy like that to be your co-defensive coordinator and associate head coach, and I believe he's also going to coach DBs, but Henry Baker's departure hasn't been made official. But it sounds like that is going to happen. I mean, to add a guy like that to the staff, just to bolster that DMV recruiting, like you mentioned, it is a lot about NIL, but there are guys who that's not an option for who you can find 
And to this point, Loxley and his staff have done a good job of finding those three-star local guys who can really make a big impact. I mentioned Caleb Wheatland earlier. He's a three-star local guy from Northern Virginia. So to add a guy like Abdul Rahim, I was really upset that he had to leave the staff when Durkin was fired because uh, I really liked him uh, as a local guy. Brought a lot as a position coach as well. So to add him back, it just he's really meant to be in this area of recruiting. Well, and I'm glad Maryland was open and receptive to bringing him back and realizing that you yeah. don't throw, you know, uh, the, the baby out with the bathwater, you know, and that, that's essentially, um, you know, the, but that's the mindset. And, and that's good that they that they brought him back as compared to saying, no, we're, we're going to, you know, do that, you know, just wipe our yeah. hands. On. That's not fair because not all those assistants deserve to be um, tarnished. Uh, like that. And heck, Durkin is back coaching the SEC. So, I mean, not that that's a surprise because the SEC is the SEC, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it, it, you, you can laud it, but, uh, it's also got a lot of, uh, uh, dirty laundry with it that, that now is all legal. But, uh, you know, just a few years ago, they were pretty much, uh, cheating every way possible. And yet we're talking about, you know, sign stealing with Michigan. Please, please. Well, we mentioned, before we hopped on the air, we mentioned Kevin Steele retiring as Alabama's defensive coordinator, and obviously Maryland fans are familiar with that whole saga before uh, before he took the job, what, at Auburn at the time. He took the job uh, when no, he spurned um, Maryland. No, it he, Auburn? Did, uh, I thought he went to Miami. Oh, Miami, you're he right. He went to Miami, Miami to be their defensive coordinator yeah. uh, last year and then went from Miami to Alabama uh, this past season. And I mean, here he is three days in, he's in his office calling recruits to come to Maryland. And literally the next day he's gone. I, those are the kind of guys though, honestly, they're, they're the, uh, I, you know, I, I don't like to use this term, but they're the used car. They're truly are the used car salesmen. They're the, yeah. the slick meisters that I just, I can't, I can't stand. And frankly, um, you know, our offensive coordinator uh, the last two years, um, you know, was the uh, was the same. Why am I blanking, Dan? Uh, Scott or uh, Dan Enos? Dan Enos, yeah. Who, yeah. by the way, got fired at Arkansas <laughs> midway through the year. Yeah. yeah, he jumped to Arkansas SEC more money. He got fired midway through the year. Well, and I brought up Kevin Steele because speaking of DJ Durkin, uh, he's being mentioned as a top candidate to take over as the defensive coordinator for Alabama. So. Yeah, <laughs> it shouldn't come as any surprise. I mean, he's been, what, at Ole Miss, Texas a Also, haven't most of his defenses been terrible in the SEC? Like, I know his Ole Miss defense was, like, historically bad. Like, they were giving up 50 points a game. I mean, he, he's made some progress, but I, I don't think he's exactly taking the SEC by storm, though. He's not the defensive coordinator that he was with Florida. No. By any means, no, and it just I, but you know, the SEC, the Big 12, it's and I, I don't want to. I mean, Alabama's got a good defense, don't I mean, there's a few teams, Georgia, but Georgia, yeah, but down south of the Big 12, the SEC, the defense, it's just not the same as it's optional, the Big 10, it's just not, it's and now not you're adding Oklahoma and Texas, yeah, yeah, so it's going to get even more that way. Well, let, let, let's switch gears and talk basketball for a bit. Um, not a good start to conference play, but I think the last episode that I, I had recorded here with Pat was right before the UCLA game. And they did win that game, which was a good win, but they followed it up with these losses now to Purdue and Minnesota. And it just, it, it seems like this year, you know, we're two months in, uh, it's, it, we've been able to get a good read on this program. And it's at this point, it's like, well, 
if Jameer Young goes Superman mode and everything clicks just enough, they might be able to squeak out some wins. But on the off chance that that happens, you get a win. But m for the most part, you're gonna get uh, you're gonna be overmatched in pretty much every game so far this season. So I don't know what what stood out to you, and and do you know anything more now than you knew a month or two ago? No, I was willing to give them the time though uh, necessary for a number of different reasons to get themselves together offensively as best they could. I mean, look, defensively, they're giving up, what, 63, 65 points a game, which is 25th, 26th best in the country. Mm -hmm. I think that number was coming into the Minnesota game. And uh, so they're giving themselves a chance to win. I mean, look, even with Purdue, you know, they held Purdue down by, what, over 25 points uh, or below their average. It was and, the least a number of points that Purdue had scored all year. Yeah. Uh, and so I know we still the game wasn't that close. Right. And and that's <laughs> and that speaks, of course, about the offense, which that's been the issue uh, for the for the most part. And, and UCLA, by the way, that game was was where very wacky. If you look at the stats in this game, the fouls, the, the, the 54 fouls, the fact <laughs> that you made seven of 12 threes in the first half, but then just one three in the second half. UCLA makes one three all game long. Julian Reese has zero points and two shot attempts, or one point, zero shot attempts, like one of six from the free throw line. Jameer Young went off for, what, 37 of the 69 points that they scored. The bench had zero points. It just, you could go on and on. Uh, you know, Willard gets his 300th win, first win at uh, Pauley Pavilion. UCLA, though, in that game, shooting 31%. Um, it, it, it just, you mentioned the 54 fouls. I think at one point there were more fouls called than field goals made by both teams or something Sounds like right. that. There was some crazy stat in that one. And, and then, um, you know, free throw wise, uh, yeah, obviously both teams got a lot of opportunities there. Uh, that was just a, a very wacky statistical game that, that Maryland won. And, it, it, you know, you come off that game saying, well, sometimes your best player just has to carry you and you have a game like that. And I would agree with that, except that had been an issue uh, all year long up to that game is that they really didn't have anybody else stepping up. Since that game, to his credit, Dante Scott has stepped up. But here's the issue. The other day, for instance, Jameer Young and Dante Scott are the top two scorers, but um, – or or actually it may have been him and Reese, but, but um, Young ends up having five turnovers, though. Um, Scott ends up having four turnovers – um, you know, Julian Reese is a guy that they did a really good job in the first half getting the ball to. He finished the first half with 10 points, five rebounds. But the fact that he draws attention and can get to the free throw line, but he's a 59% free throw shooter. Um, but this game stung because they played a really good first half. They limited themselves from in the three-point shooting. They focused on getting two-point shots. They led by seven at the half. They shot 45.5% from the field. Reese, 10 points, five rebounds. They worked hard to get him in the flow offensively. Scott had seven, six had Young in that first half, and um, it was looking good. But what stood out, though? 15 turnovers. And after the game, Kevin Willard said, that's not the way we practice. Well, I'm not seeing that in the game, yet it's not translating. Maryland in this one ends up shooting 81%, I think it is, from the free throw line when they're a 69% free throw shooting team. It, it, it just it, it you take a look at the game statistically and it's salt in the wound because they did some things in this game that they usually ha they usually haven't done this season 
and they still end up losing. And look, Minnesota came in as one of the best two-point shooting teams in the country, and they shot about 37% from three, and Maryland held them down in both categories and still lost the game. The Julian Reese foul trouble in the second half, though, that was that was big. Uh, yeah, I think four 15, fouls at the 16-minute mark or something. 16.50, he got his yeah. fourth foul. Yeah, that early. Yeah. And uh, when he was not on the floor, Minnesota went on a 23-11 to 11 run. At one point, I think Minnesota, from the beginning uh, of the second half to the eight-minute mark in the second half, they were 9-17 to 17 from uh, the field. They just seemed more energized, more together in that second half offensively. It was night and day. Part of that, though, obviously had to be Reese not being on the floor. But that Minnesota offense looked much better uh, in the second half. And the other thing, too, is Minnesota's one of 14 from three in the first half. That was just not who Minnesota's been this year. And uh, that was a concern that, yeah, you got a seven-point lead. But if Minnesota just makes a few threes in the second half, um, if you don't keep the pedal to the metal, uh, you're going to be in trouble. And Maryland ultimately did. Yeah, I think one of the thing, one of the many things that's hurt the team, you mentioned Julian Reese's foul trouble, is the lack of a capable like backup big man. Caleb Swanton Roger, you know, we had hoped that he would take a step, at, uh, at least a step up to a capable big, you know, backup big this season. But I mean, I hate to rat on a kid, but like he's just so unskilled. He's tall, but he doesn't use his size. He doesn't move well either, and he's extremely prone to fouls. You saw that UCLA game. I think he he fouled out in like four minutes of, of gameplay. Yeah, three of the big men fouled out in that one, yeah. And you, you just can't have that from a backup big. You know, last season you had Patrick Emelian step up to be a, a very capable big, and in fact he was so capable that they were playing him alongside Reese at times. But this season, they, they bring in Mady Traore, and he's been in nothing. Uh, and you hope that he can develop because he is really big. Uh, and he does move well on the court, but he's just not strong enough at this point. Maybe maybe he develops into something. But Swanton Roger, his second year in the program, is just nothing. You mentioned Jameer Young, 20 points a game, 43% from the field, 34% from three. And like I mentioned, if he doesn't go Superman mode and score 30 points in a game, they're probably not going to win. Uh, the freshmen are really struggling. That's been unfortunate. Deshaun Harris-Smith, eight points a game, 34% from the field. Jamie Kaiser, four points a game, 25% from the field, 24% from three. And it's just hard because that's not what these guys showed in high school. And to this point, it just hasn't translated to the collegiate level. And I don't know if you're seeing anything specific with either of those guys. I know for me, it seems like neither of them is playing with very much confidence. Uh, they don't seem to know their roles. And I don't know if that's on the coaching staff, if that's on them. It just it's it's difficult to watch both of those guys because you know they have talent and it just hasn't shown up yet. Well, your point about having a quality backup big man that can give you uh, a, a little bit of offensive production and not get in foul trouble, I mean, that's that's well said. I think that is a big issue. Uh, your point about the freshmen, they were definitely counting on one of those two guys, if not both of those guys, to make some sort of contribution. It hasn't happened. I, you know, Kevin Willard has said early on or said early on that they're getting caught up to the speed of the game. Uh, and the amount of effort that they have to put out there on both the offensive and defensive side. And, okay, you could buy that for a while, but now they're about half the season's over with. At this point, they should be caught up. Um, you know, Kaiser has brought it on the defensive end, even when things aren't going well um, offensively, but he has not gotten his shot together. 
Uh, and you do have to think after a while, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it's a confidence thing. And yet Harris Smith just looks lost out there offensively as to you're right, what his role is, but his role is he needs to create plays and get to the bucket and draw fouls and, and get to the bucket and, and, and make shots that way. That's what they need him to do. And the offense is screaming for some sort of help. So I, to say he doesn't know his role, I mean, I, I've got to think that they have some sort of idea now about what they're being asked to do, what they need to do. They have to have some sort of comfort with the offense that they're playing in now. So I, I don't know that I, I buy all of that necessarily, um, but it is the coach's responsibility to try to get the best rotation out there and to try to get the most out of these guys. That has not happened yet, and whether he needs to keep trying to to mix things up in terms of lineups and such, uh, maybe so. But eventually, no matter what lineup you have, you still have to go out there at some point and produce, and and those guys have not done it. I mean, you you, you know, Kaiser, you got to hit shots, man. Yeah, eventually, you got to hit some threes, please. You know, and that's not happening. And Smith, you got to get to the bucket, and um, he's just he, he seems uh, passive or he's unable to um, you know to finish. And yeah, I mean, unless Young goes as you talked about Superman mode, and the other day too, Young led the way in points. But uh, you you have the box score in front of you there. I've got my notes, but I don't have his specifics. But he, he wasn't very efficient. Um, I think Scott was six of eleven. I think he was efficient, but Young wasn't efficient. And in the second half, he had a lot of plays going to the basket where he was unable to finish. And then he also had the five turnovers. And I, I hate to bang on him because he's the one guy that you can count on. He's looked off. I know. I think he was – Willard mentioned a couple guys had COVID. He was one of them. Um, so he missed that that game against Coppin State. And then um, – He's missed he, a lot of pra- – yeah. He, he came out slow that. against Purdue. Um, so uh, let me let me see. Still yeah, led the way for – Young was five – Young five of 17. Yeah. 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 So a lot of his points, nine of 10 from the free throw line. Uh, and speaking of the free throw line, you mentioned Harris Smith. He needs to get to the bucket and draw fouls. Well, he's only a 60% free throw shooter. And that's, so that's something that has not been good enough for him because you, he came in. We knew that about him. He wants to drive and get get to the rim, draw fouls, and finish through contact. Well, he hasn't been able to finish through contact, and he's not hitting his foul shots. He's barely better than Julian Reese, and that's bad. And and the crazy thing, Zach, is that I, I'm the, the stat, I think Maryland – Free throw wise, like they have the eighth most made free throws, I think, in the country this season. I mean, free throws mm-hmm. make up actually a big percentage of their offense. However, they are still leaving points on the floor because they're only shooting 69% as a team. And when one of your best players in Julian Reese is only shooting 59%, that's 10% below that. You mentioned Harris Smith's issues. So they, they, we talked about when you can't shoot the three, you need to get to the free throw line. Well, they are, and they are making a fair amount of free throws, but they're still leaving too much out on the floor, actually, believe it or not. It's it's an odd stat, but that's that's what's been happening, and it just they have not been able to put together any sort of consistency where they're efficient, they're not turning the ball over, and they're hitting their free throws. They just have not had that combination in any one game, and it shows with their point totals, and that's, you know, again, that's a big issue. Well, and it's hard offensively when you're not hitting outside shots because defenses are just going to pack pack the lane and they're not going to allow you into the lane to get to the rim. And if you do get there, you're not going to get a foul because they don't need to foul. They can just 
stand where they are, you know, and they don't need to worry about crashing out on three point shooters because they can't hit them 27% as a team from three, which is one of the worst marks of any division one team in the country. I mean, it's just awful. Your best three point shooters, Dante Scott, he's, he's shooting 36%. And like I mentioned, Kaiser, who was supposed to be your go-to spot up three point shooter, 24% from mm-hmm. three. Yeah. It's just, it's just ugly. Yeah. Um, yeah, a point you just made, and I, I just, I just forgot. Oh, um, Minnesota though, in the first half, and and most of the second half, they did go a little zone in that first half. Minnesota later on, but I think one of the things that stood out to me though, Minnesota played man, and the floor was fairly spread for Maryland, and that seemed to help them. That Minnesota didn't pack it in, and they well. weren't doubling Julian Reese either. Right, and you're right, and Reese was getting one on ones. Now that's because they've got. You know, they're 6'11 star player uh, in Garcia that uh, but then they also had the guy off the bench that was uh, that was posting up against him as well that they had um, trying to remember his name. Was it? Um, I'm trying was, to look at the box. score. It wasn't. Got out um, there's a, the, their first guy off the bench um, was pain or a care or a pain uh, for L pain to take it. I, I thought it was somebody else, but maybe it was him. Let's see. But uh, he's six nine, two fifty five. Yeah, maybe it was Payne. sophomore okay. for Ralph so, Payne. Yeah. So they had him um, defending Reese a lot, um, you know, not wanting to get Garcia in foul trouble. But yeah, uh, he was getting one on ones, and Maryland was doing a good job giving him getting him the ball. But there was a lot of uh, spacing, and Minnesota wasn't packing it in. And I thought that was a difference for Maryland too in the first half. Uh, with that, and they made the most of it. Again, Minnesota went a little zone at one point, but then I think they played man most of the game and and in the second half as well. I don't remember them packing it in. It's just um, that free throw issue, or excuse me, the foul trouble with Reese changed everything, both offensively and defensively for Maryland. Yeah, no doubt. So just to finish things off, and I don't want to end on too sour a note, but just one recruit now incoming for next season the Derek Queen saga continues. We hear that maybe he's close to a decision, but it's it's not looking great for Maryland at this point, although Indiana hasn't exactly performed up to their expectations this year either, which is the other school he's primarily considering. But the future doesn't, you're not seeing like a top class incoming for next season. So when you look at this season's struggles, and then you look forward to next year where you've got key contributors leaving, of course, some of those contributors aren't exactly contributing this season, but you know your Jameer Young's going to be gone. So I guess we're just hoping that Willer can hit the portal hard enough to field a competitive team next year. I mean, is that a legitimate, I guess that's a legitimate strategy now, but I mean, how much hope do you have for like next season for this team? Well, you're getting ahead, uh, getting ahead. It's well, hard when you, when you're looking at this record, it's hard not to look for next year. Cause at this point, this season seems like a lost cause. I mean, even NIT well, that would they be lucky to get. Zach, I mean, you're right, and and I said that we were going to learn a lot. I said on the uh, on the network broadcast that we were going to learn a lot about Maryland here in the the first two weeks of the season with the full time Big Ten conference schedule. Obviously, Purdue, the best team in the country, the best team in the Big Ten, or one of the best teams in the Big Ten. That's a high bar, but that's a good litmus test to let you know where you stand. Um, but then you know you lose to Minnesota. You've got Michigan Thursday. Uh, they're also not playing well. They do have some talent on the team. You're at Illinois. You're at Northwestern. And then on the 21st, you're home against Michigan State on a on a Sunday. 
you're going to learn a lot pretty quickly if they're not able to split their next four games. But no, to your point, it is looking like the, the, the year is slipping away in order to have any sort of postseason eligibility. They've got to start uh, adding some wins to the resume pretty quick. I think the only thing about next season that you could uh, feel maybe a little confident about or better about is that with some of the key guys leaving, that guys like Harris Smith and Kaiser um, might feel more comfortable. They're not in anybody's shadow. Uh, they may feel they'll have a more defined role. They'll get more opportunity um, out on the floor in terms of the ball in their hand and ability to shoot, and maybe that will do them well. But um, in the meantime, though, you'd still like them to be able to contribute with the guys on the floor and learn from a guy like Young. Uh, but you're right. Look, the portal is going to be, um, for every team, it's going to be – uh, a resource that should be used and needs to be used. But I, I still believe that you want to have uh, some solid recruiting as well. I know that right now everybody's talking about older teams um, and that the uh, COVID year, the extra COVID year of eligibility that is still floating out there is maybe one more year left of that after this season uh, for a lot of teams. You add that to the transfer portal. Um, but I, you know, you, you hope to take advantage maybe of being able to recruit some freshmen in who could be productive out of the shoot because when you talk about transfer portal and bringing guys in, you're relying on other programs essentially to be the training ground, right? So, yeah. you know, that's just uh, you know, just something to consider. Um, Maryland could maybe take advantage of, even if they are that training ground, by getting some guys who can come in and contribute right away, even if they're not three and four year guys, ultimately, you know, so it's, yeah. Um, but yeah, right now, I mean the portal, but uh, you hate for that to be, and maybe it's not a crutch. I say it's a crutch. It feels like a crutch because you're not recruiting uh, as well as you should be. Um, but he's got coaches on the staff that are DMV recruiters. Zach, so yeah. I, you can't, you can't say that they're thumbing their nose at the area, not doing what they should. But NIL plays a big part in this. Yeah, it's hard. I know. Um, so you mentioned Michigan coming up Thursday night. I know you have a unique insight into the Wolverines program. Um, I know they've lost, what, four games in a row now. Um, pretty rough. Another season in a row under Shawan Howard that hasn't exactly gone as expected or planned. Well, it's been a mix because of his health issues. Phil Martelli. Right. Uh, was five and five as the uh, interim head coach, and actually against Penn State, that game was played at the Palestra on Sunday in Philadelphia. Juwan Howard, out of respect, because Martelli was the longtime coach at St. Joe's, of course, a part of the Big Five, and he actually allowed Martelli to be the head coach in that game. Now, yeah, you know, in the huddle, I don't know, maybe it wasn't as one-sided as it, it it appeared on the surface. It's an odd thing to do. It's a nice nod. It's an odd thing to do, though. Um, but yeah, that's a team that's struggling. They had a 10-point lead at halftime, Zach, and then Penn State scored 52 points, I believe it was, in the second half on them, and uh, Michigan Michigan fell in that one. Uh, Michigan had a chance to tie the game against Minnesota late, uh, but Doug McDaniel missed that shot. But they played like Oregon and Florida. They've lost two of those games in overtime. I've seen them play at times, and they, they look good. They've got some talent. Uh, obviously, recently, though, they're not. And Jawan Howard, uh, I I definitely believe that Howard is on the warm seat and he could be on his way out if they languish the rest of the year. If he keeps his job for one more season next year, he's definitely going to be on the hot seat next year, though. I can tell you that. 
Well, they did beat Iowa on the road. That's that's their only conference win. But it it seems like, and for me, I haven't watched much of Michigan this year. But just looking at it statistically, if they can outscore the other team, they're golden. But their defense is statistically is the worst in the conference. So they're going to give up a lot of points. They just hope to score more than they give up. And it's kind of Iowa's sort of the same way. Speaking of Iowa, they've always been that way. Like we're going to score ninety points a game. And we're going to give up 85 and we'll be fine. We'll hop into the tournament and, and lose in the second round. But I mean, that, that seems to be the way it is. And if that's the case, it's an interesting matchup with Maryland because Maryland's strengths are the opposite. Their strength is their defense. So it's bad offense versus bad defense and good offense versus good defense. And that's what we've got coming up on Thursday night. And it almost, you know, you mentioned the games that Maryland has coming after that Illinois, Northwestern, Michigan state, it almost feels like a must win sort of game to feel good about that stretch. Cause if you lose this game, there's a decent chance you lose the next three and then you really got the snowball rolling down the well, hill. And at that point you wonder when does Kevin Willard pivot and you know, essentially give Harris Smith and Kaiser a lot more minutes and say, right. go play. And Lamoth. And Lamoth and go play and develop. Yeah. Uh, that's not what Young and Scott want for their final seasons. They didn't sign up for that. Uh, but at some point, you look to the future. It's it's getting close, though, that yeah. some shakeup has to happen. And, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, for this season or for next, but I think we're both thinking to, to next year almost already. It's just amazing uh, the 180 from last year at this time um, to uh, this year uh, at this time and, and how different it is. And then, bleak prospects for next year that's a long way off i mean we, we probably shouldn't get ourselves down that rabbit hole but um it, man it's 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 disappointing because uh you know maryland basketball is what we've been hanging our hat on and um last year we was a pleasant surprise and we thought that that would be the jump start to some good things but that hasn't that hasn't happened uh the only thing we can wish for is that come the end of the year come big 10 tournament time that we're seeing a team play better and that those freshmen are really developing well because otherwise oh boy yeah that'll give you hope for next season at least if they start to to develop a little bit more i know that's one thing that we complained about with mark turgeon was that the teams seemed to get worse as they slid into big 10 conference and tournament play yeah, that's right. they did you hope that the the swing goes in the other direction this year and that'll at least give you allow you to pencil in some more starters for next year because you see the contributions towards the end of this year. But yeah, if you go into next year needing five starters and a couple bench guys, that's it's not a great way to, to finish things off. So definitely things to watch for. We'll be, we'll be watching the Michigan game on Thursday night. Be sure to join us, baltimoresportsandlife.com articles and the message board before, during and after games and follow us on Twitter at talking Terps BSL. Uh, for my co-host, Mike Popovic, I'm Zach Kiesel. Roll Terps.